0: Happy Valentine's Day to you again. Before we jump in, I want to remind you, the greatest love, there's someone who loves you. No matter where your relationships, your human relationships are at, but the Bible reveals the greatest love that the human mind couldn't even imagine. No playwright. No script writer, no imagination could imagine a greater love than the love that's revealed in Christ. Think about it. The gospel tells us that God, there's nobody greater than Him or behind Him. He gave, He didn't give a hundred bucks. He didn't give a thousand bucks. He didn't give the sun, the moon, and the stars, the Milky Way galaxy, or any of the other billions of galaxies and trillions of stars. He didn't, if he would've given 100 bucks, we could've said, hey, I could imagine a love greater than that. What if he would've given 200 bucks? He gave his son. Okay, I have a son. I have an only son. And I literally would not trade the entire world for him. Someone came up to me and said, Hey, I give you the pink slip to every single vehicle, every Lamborghini, every Bugatti, every boat, every yacht, every airplane, every jet, every piece of real estate. The answer is no. That's how much my son. God gave his son. This is the gospel, not for pretty good people, for good church-going folk, because then someone would say, well, what if God gave his son for wretched, miserable sinners? That's exactly what happened. (laughs) There's three factors in the equation. God, what he gave, and who he gave it for, and you can't move those factors any farther out on the scale than they've been moved. The, the, the human mind cannot conceive of a greater love than the love that God has for you. All of our human relationships are less than that. They all, we all struggle. It's hard living with another sinner. <laughs> the secret to our human relationships prospering is if you soak yourself and ba- bask in the love that God has for you. Happy Valentine's Day. We are, you are more loved than you can imagine. That's the gospel. You are more loved than you can imagine. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. God gave his son for us, for us, sinners. I don't know about you, I know know that I am, I'm painfully aware, what a love. Hosea chapter seven, Hosea seven, if you're new here, we're studying through what we call the Old Testament. Jesus called it the law and the prophets. The Jews call it the Torah, you know, and the prophets. But it says, when I would have healed Israel, verse seven, we'll jump right in. And then then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered in the wickedness of Samaria. This is three ways of addressing the exact same group of people. The ten northern tribes, the kingdom is split since Solomon's son came into power. And the northern tribes are called Israel. The southern kingdom that consists of Judah and Benjamin, they're called Judah. Ephraim is the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. And the capital is Samaria. So these three titles are referring to the same group of people, the ten northern tribes of Israel. God's saying, I would have healed. I would have healed you. But you you committed fraud. A thief comes in and a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They don't consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. I see it all, God is saying. You know, what we do that's hidden to men, it's in the clear sight of God. He sees it all. And God gave his son for us. Wow. No greater love. God even sees the thoughts and intents of our hearts. This is why if God is out to get me, I'm in deep trouble. I can fool you. I can even fool myself. A lot of people are self-deceived. But God says, I see it all. It's all right in front of my face. But the good news is God is not out to get me, to smash me. He's out to get me, to save me, and to bring me near to himself. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And here he calls them Israel, Ephraim, and Samaria. Israel and Ephraim, the largest tribe in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, they may have an appearance because we're really good at appearances. This is the problem of the Pharisees in the New Testament. They were all into appearances. But God sees what he's saying here in these opening verses. I see exactly what you are. And notice, he mentions first fraud. Your fraud. Your fraud. Your f- fraudsters. <laughs> you know, your robbers. And then he says, and they make a king glad. And all the kings of the northern kingdom, since the the kingdom of Israel split, all of them in the north were wicked. They all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, every single one of them. And he says, what you guys are doing, you're making your evil king glad with your wickedness and the, and, and the princes with your lies. You know, thank God for the new covenant. It's so interesting to me, the new covenant, that sounds very Christian, doesn't it? Belongs, the new covenant belongs to Christians, to the church. Did you know that when God spoke about the new covenant that's coming in Jeremiah, Jeremiah the Old Testament prophet he said behold there comes the days says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom <laughs> now as gentiles we've been grafted in as we've believed upon Israel's messiah that's who our faith is in Israel's messiah isn't that interesting and now we are part, we, we've been made a part of the family of God, the people of God, partakers of all the covenants. We're sons and daughters of Abraham, it says in Galatians, by faith. Everything that God promised to Abraham and to these people, it's ours now. We're, we share in the commonwealth of what God has brought into the world through Israel. Thank God for that new covenant that Jeremiah said was coming. <laughs> because when we confess, all the stuff that God sees that we're really good at hiding from others, but when we, when we confess it to God, he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all that stuff that he sees, and then cleansed, he fills us with his spirit, you know? So that we might not manifest in our lives all the ugly stuff that's in our flesh, but we might manifest what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the new covenant wherein Jeremiah says in verse 34 of chapter 31 where God forgives our iniquities. And he says, I remember your sins no more. Yeah, that's for at the end of the Bible study. Please go back to Jeremiah. There we go. Don't you love, we got some new projectors. Don't you love them? Did anyone notice? Anyone notice? Did you sit there and go, wow, something's different? Nobody notices. Got some new projectors. Well, the sin that God says, look, I see it all. I I remember in the old covenant, in the new, their sins, their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. You know, when you confess your sin and then you go out and you stumble and you come back to God and you're telling him, God, all this sin. He's like, what, all what sin? God, I blew it again. He's like, again? This is the first time. Because he remembers our sins no more. Wrap, wrap your head around that. When I would have healed Israel, God was wanting to heal. But they were acting, they were acting as if there was no problems. They were acting as if they didn't have sin. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us, but if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. God was saying, I see it all. You're just acting like there isn't anything there to see, and he goes, yes, there is. I'm waiting for you just to acknowledge I would have healed you. He, God says, I see it, there, there's all this adultery, like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases, stirring the fire, kneading the dough until it's leavened. It, this idea here of the oven, he's gonna, he's gonna expand upon it here, but his, he's, he's saying kind of like in a metaphor, You guys are burning, you're burning hot with lust for your idols. This was their issue. He says, in the day of our our king, princes have made him sick and flamed with wine. He stretches out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their heart. Notice again, like an oven, they lie in wait like a baker sleeps all night and in the morning it burns like a flaming fire. They were offering the sacrifice to the Lord, but it was an empty ceremony. It wasn't calling upon God in truth. It's only when we truly call upon the Lord that he moves and he saves us, and that there's breakthrough. God says he's gonna tell them here. It's just empty ritual, you know? And for many, it's only when we get so tired We get so tired of the emptiness of our idols. I'm giving you my own little testimony here. (laughs) That we come finally to the place where, God, I want to call upon you. I want to call upon you, Lord, in truth. Like when God said to Judah in Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah 29.10, thus says the Lord, after your 70 years in captivity, this is what he said to the southern kingdom when they were taken into Babylon. He says, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and I will cause you to return to this place, to Jerusalem. And that happened under Nehemiah and Ezra. 70 years in Babylon getting spanked, God brought them back and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls of the city. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. You disobedient, rebellious children of mine who I've taken into captivity for 70 years because you were so obstinate in your idolatry. I know the thoughts I think about you. Thoughts, notice, of peace. There's no love like this love. There's no love like the love of God. Nothing can compare to it. You know, some if you think of if you know our first religious kind of reaction is, oh no, what are your thoughts towards me? I've been rebelling and I've been totally obstinate against you. I know my thoughts; I'm out to get you. I'm out to smash you. Right? No thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, and then you will call upon me and you will go. And pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. You know, God will let you go out and make your life as big a mess as you want to make it and bring as much pain upon yourself as you want to. And then after you're done, He'll go get you. Oh, don't say that, Pastor. People are going to, what, go out and cause themselves chaos and pain? help yourself, (laughs) he'll go get you, you know, I'll be found by you, I'll gather you from the nations and the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, I'll bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away, I'm going to bring you home, I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem, back to your place. But here the northern tribes are on the verge. They're on the verge of being invaded by the Assyrians. Being carried away captive into cruel slavery by the Assyrians. And none of them are calling upon God. This is the point here. You haven't felt enough pain yet to bring you to the place where you call upon me. He says, they're all hot, like an oven. This doesn't mean it was 105 degrees outside and they were all sweating, okay? It's not, they're not hot in the sense that they're like all really good looking, you know? They're hot in their lust for their idols. You know, it's, when we move to Hungary, We had some hilarious and very awkward times as we were learning the language. I don't know if you've ever moved to another culture and tried to learn a new language, you know? But in Hungarian, if if I say, I am hot, like I say here all the time in July, I'm hot, you know? In Hungarian, that means I'm burning with same-sex lust. Okay, so I'm learned. i I'm learning these words in Hungarian, I'm walking around, because we, when we first got to Hungary, the first summer it was 105 degrees for a whole month straight, 98% humidity. We're walking around in shorts, sweating. I would drink, they had these big two liter things of water. I'd drink like six of them a day and not even use the restroom. It was coming through your pores. And I'm walking around telling everyone I'm hot. (laughs) And some of the guys were excited about that. (laughs) And others were laughing at me, and God bless those who were saying, Greg, come here, come here. Don't, that's not how you say it. Don't say meleg vadyok, say melegem vadyok, which means I feel warm, (laughs) not I am hot. Okay. And it took me a while to get that, and it was very awkward for a while. But here Hosea says, they're all hot. They're all hot for their idols, like an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. None among them calls upon me, God says. When we're hot for idols, we will not be calling upon God. They kinda don't go together. (laughs) Hosea continues to express here the sad state of the northern tribes here. He says Ephraim, again the largest tribe in the north. Many times that's how God's referring to the whole 10 tribes up in the north. He calls them Ephraim. It's It's a term of endearment. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake Unturned. The idea here is a half-baked cake. Okay. Now their bread was more like a lot of cultures have the flatbreads, the pita breads, right? Kind of more like a pancake than our our bread, like a loaf. And so when he, the idea here, Ephraim is like a cake unturned. It means Ephraim. It's like a pancake that's been just cooked on one side and now it's burned on one side and it's completely just doughy on the other. And thinking they can serve both God and their idols, it's like this unturned pancake. You know, and, and if you've ever cooked pancakes and you you're, you, you've sit, you, you, you know you got distracted and it's burnt on one side, you just you toss it in the trash, right? Just, you got some more batter and you make a new one and you watch it this time and try to get that golden brown you know how it is he says aliens have devoured his strength and he doesn't know it this all this sin has ravaged your life Ephraim and you don't even realize it You know, like when everyone around can see the devastating effects of sin in a person's life and the person can't see it because they won't see it. You know, we have an amazing ability to deceive ourselves, especially in the area of sin. And it's, we get, we can get to the point where we're numb. That's why sin is likened unto leprosy in scripture because leprosy, the, the bacteria of leprosy that gets in there, it numbs the extremities and then you can't feel that you're, you just jammed your finger, you're, you're leaning on a hot stove and pretty soon it's, your extremities start to be whittled away. Sin is like that. He's like, aliens have devoured his strength and he doesn't even know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him. This was me in my 30s, here and there, some grays. Now it's just all gray. He goes, and he doesn't even know it. Ephraim, you're like this old dude that thinks you're still young. Everyone else knows you're old and they think you're ridiculous by acting like you're young. You ever meet those guys? Yeah, they're all around. (laughs) If you're getting old, just be old. Old is cool, okay? Ridiculous is when you're old, everyone knows it, but you're trying to act like you're young and you're getting injured because you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. A couple of years ago, someone found out I used to ride a unicycle when I was a kid and they brought one to the church. And I'm up in there in the office when no one else is there. I'm riding around on this unicycle and my wife is like going, do not. You're gonna fall and I'm gonna have to go visit you at Loma Linda Hospital. You know, And I could feel it, because I'm 50 pounds heavier than I was when I rode a unicycle back when I was 18. I could feel like, man, if I fall, it's going to be bad." <laughs> you know, I can't, I, I can't be riding. A, I'm 62 now. Unicycles are over. <laughs> a lot of things I used to do are over. Here he's looking at Ephraim, he's saying, "There's gray hairs here and there. you're getting older, and you don't even realize it. You look ridiculous. And what's the issue? Pride. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Pride makes us to do all sorts of ridiculous things. But they don't return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. God's frustrated. If you would but seek me, if you would just admit the sin that, I can see and everyone else can see. I would heal you. But Ephraim is like a silly dove without sense. Hosea now uses this image of a bird that's confused and without direction, thinking they can escape God by running after other nations. They call upon Egypt. They go to Assyria. And God says, wherever they go, I'll spread my net on them. I will will bring them down like the birds of the air. I will chastise them chastise whom the Lord loves he chastises the scripture says if you're without chastisement it means you don't belong to God some of you are thinking man I really belong to the Lord because <laughs> if there's one thing I know is that God chastises me it's proof of his love God says, I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Isn't that interesting? I will chastise them in proportion to how much they have heard, according to how much light they've been given. It will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for some than it is for others, Because some had more light than others. We studied this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. Jesus gets into it. Here God says, I will chastise them according to what the congregation has heard. God is just. He's fair. There will be different levels of judgment that people face. It's, It's in the Bible. I don't know why there's some... Christians that won't admit this, but it's in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Really? Than for Bethsaida and Chorazin? Jesus said it. There's going to be tolerance. Tolerance. Some Christians hate that word, tolerance. I thank God that there's Tolerance. I thank God that he doesn't, it's not just some blanket thing. God is just, and he will do justly. He's saying here, Ephraim's chastisement will be according to the, what their congregation has heard. You know, and flying to the nations, to Egypt and Assyria, they hoped and trusted in those nations and not in God. As everything is falling apart, they're like looking for their these alliances, as they're being weakened and becoming vulnerable. They're looking to the arm of the flesh, to the Egyptians and the Assyrians. And God's like going, oh, that you would look to me. God says, they're flying away from me and from all that I have for them. Woe to them, for they have fled from me, destruction to them, because they've transgressed against me, though I redeem them. God gave his son for us, for wretched sinners. Though I redeemed them, yet they've spoken lies against me. Ouch, ouch, ouch. The most heinous kind of sin is the sin against love. Though I redeemed them, they have spoken lies against me. It's like Judas's kiss the most painful of all. He betrayed him with a kiss. Ouch. To lie about someone who loves you, to to lie about the one who loves you the most, This this is the level of Ephraim's betrayal. They didn't cry out to me with their heart, when they wailed upon their beds, they assembled together for grain and new wine. They rebelled against me, though I disciplined them and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not to the most high. They were religious. They, had their, they made up their own religion up in the north. That's what idolatry is. It's making gods in your own image. It's, it's fashioning gods according to the, your own imagination. True worship is worshiping the one who made us and has revealed himself to us. They sought remedies for their self-inflicted sicknesses and wounds but not from God most high. God says they're like a treacherous bow. So he adds here yet another image, a faulty bow, like a bow and arrow. They're like a faulty bow, it can't shoot straight. Everything that comes from his idolatrous people, God's saying, is, it, it's missing the mark. You know, that's what sin means in the New Testament. The word hamartia, it was an, it's an archery term. The word sin, it's an archery term. Whew. Whew. And if you miss the bullseye, the guy would cry, Hamartia. He would cry, Sin! You sinned! You missed the mark. And he would take your arrow out and bring back the bunch and say, Keep shooting until you hit the mark. As they're worshiping idols that they've made up with their own minds. There's an emptiness. There's there's a there's a, these these idols can't speak, they can't see, they're there's an and 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 in out from a life everything they're doing is missing the mark like a faulty bow like a useless and dangerous weapon like a loose cannon right <laughs> the princes shall fall by the sword for the cursings of their tongue this shall be the derision in the land of egypt chapter 8 and so here's the cry as it continues. Set the trumpet to your mouth, God says. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they've transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. So trumpets were used in the ancient world to assemble a population and to, to call the troops to battle. Here God is commanding actually the Assyrians whose symbol was the eagle. He's he's summoning the Assyrians to come against his people. They're gonna be the tool that he uses, the paddle that he uses to spank them. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. But they weren't knowing God, they were knowing their idols. My God, we know you. And God's like going, no, you're, you're knowing your idols. Your intimacy is not with me and with the truth the way as I've revealed myself to you in the sacrifice at the temple. Your intimacy is with your idols. You don't know me. That's why you're confused. That's why you're in bondage. Because your whole relationship is with lies. That's what idols are. They're lies. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah looks and says, won't you say to this idol you're holding, is this not a lie that's in my hand? It's a misrepresentation of God and it, it, it will wreck your life. That the root of every bondage in your life is a lie that at some point in your life you believed it and you received it. And Jesus comes, and he says, if you're truly my disciples, you'll continue in my word, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. At the root of every bondage in your life, at some point, there was a lie that you believed and received about something. The most important thing we need to get right is the, the, the truth about who God is, and that's, he's revealed in Christ, He's the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of Yahweh's being. I love it. If you don't understand your Bible, the whole thing flows to Jesus. The whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament speaks of him. The culmination of his whole life and ministry and his first coming was the cross. Everything we need to know about God is in the cross. It's amazing the love, the redeeming love of God that sets us free and brings us near God and that that we might be filled with the Spirit. And then everything, as we're filled with the Spirit, everything coming from us is is exactly what God wants. He just wants His love working in you and through you. That's everything He wants in your life. And your life will be healed if you let that happen. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. But they were not worshiping God in the north as God prescribed. The prescribed worship that God revealed to Moses that we looked at in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Numbers. God prescribed how they were to worship. In the way, and in, 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 in when they worshiped as he prescribed, they lifted up the sacrifice, they were seeing God. It was a revelation of who God is and what God would ultimately do for mankind in Jesus Christ. Every single detail about the sacrifice, the priesthood, the tabernacle, which later became a, the fixed structure of the temple, every little detail of it was a foreshadow of God's revelation of himself in Christ and what God would do for us. They weren't worshiping as God prescribed. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They were not only doing their own thing religiously. Notice in verse four, they were doing their own thing civically or governmentally. They set up kings, but not by me. The north rebelled, and they said, we're not going to be joined to the south. But the problem is, is it's in the south where Jerusalem is, where the worship was happening as God prescribed, and that's where God was seen. That was where God was revealed, in the temple, in the sacrifice. God says, you've rejected the good. You've rejected what I've revealed about myself. You're cut off. You're, now you're setting up kings for yourself up in the north. I, I, didn't have, I don't have anything to do with those guys. And every single one of them, as we studied there, it says they, every one of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and, and the definition of they did evil in the eyes of the Lord is they didn't bring the people or let the people go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple and they made these idols, made, they carved lies into wooden stone and they were consumed with these idols and those lies were wrecking their lives. You made princes, but I didn't acknowledge them. They're doing their own thing, religiously, civically. For their silver and gold they made these idols for themselves that they may be cut off. Overlaying these idols that they made of wood and stone with silver and gold made them beautiful. But it didn't change the fact that they were all lies, misrepresentations of God, that they were destroying their lives. They were cutting, these lies were cutting them off from fellowship with God, bringing them into bondage. God says, I'm gonna cut those lies off from you that are cutting you off from me. I'm gonna destroy your beautiful silver and gold overlaid idols. Your calf is rejected. Literally, your calf stinks. What is this calf? Your calf stinks, O Samaria. Well, in Samaria, they set up the worship of the golden calf. Remember when Moses was up on Sinai receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments? Aaron was down with the children of Israel making a golden calf, and they had an orgy around this. And Moses comes down with the commands, and he sees this happening. And he takes the Ten Commandments and he breaks them on the ground. <laughs> They, Moses hadn't even come off the mountain yet, and they were breaking all the commandments. They were worshiping a golden calf. And Moses looks at Aaron. Aaron was his right hand. Aaron was his spokesman. And Aaron's like, I, I just, I took this gold, I threw it in the fire, and it just came out. He lied. He totally lied. He was embarrassed. Well, up in the north now, centuries later, the north, they're, they're, making, the, they're making the golden calf. This is where they were at. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence, God asks? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and and it is not God. It's a misrepresentation of me. But the calf of Samaria, it will be broken in pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stock has no bud it shall never produce meal if it should produce aliens will swallow it up You've heard that saying right comes right here from Hosea chapter 8 They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind In other words it will seem to Israel that the judgment they receive is worse than the sins they committed That's not true But that's how, when it's finally time that we reap what we sow, many times that's how it feels. Wow, this is way worse. I sowed sowed the wind and I reaped the whirlwind. It's like out of proportion. That's how it feels. Usually because we sin, when we sin over a long period of time, Then the judgment comes, everything collapses, and it's so huge, the collapse, that we feel like this is out of proportion, but it's not. Israel is swallowed up, now they're among the Gentiles. The Assyrians are gonna take them away. Like a vessel in which is no pleasure, they have gone up to Assyria. Like a wild donkey alone by itself, Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, they have though they have hired among the nations I will now gather them. Even in pronouncing the chastisement that God's called it that it's also called judgment it's a God chastens those he loves and sometimes it's severe even in the midst of announcing this is where this is leading God can't stand it he has to show shine this ray of hope in through the dark clouds of the coming judgment and he says but I'm gonna gather you back they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes because Ephraim has made many altars for sin they have become for him altars for sinning I have written for him the great things of my law but they were considered a strange thing. There's so, much that, there's so much in everything I revealed, but because of their preoccupation with idols, they looked and go, what is all this? What is all this? What is this stuff? And it was in the law and the prophets that God was revealing the Christ who was to come but they looked at it and go, what is all this? Like a lot of people read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they go, what is all this? This seems like strange stuff, but when you get into it and you really take a look at it, God is revealing who he is and what he is ultimately gonna do for us in Christ. You know, in the Luke, in Luke chapter 4 in the New Testament, after Jesus had died for the sins of the world and was raised from the dead, some of his disciples were on the road to Emmaus and they were depressed because they thought he was going to overthrow the Romans. Instead, he died and they didn't understand it. They, and, and he appeared to them on the road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him. And Jesus asked them. They didn't know who this guy was that appeared to him. And Jesus said, what kind of conversation are you guys having right now as you're walking and why are you so sad? And they said, well, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on around here lately concerning Jesus? And they're talking to Jesus. (laughs) Are you the only guy? Are you like a stranger in town? They asked him. And he said, Well, what things, (laughs) what things happened with this Jesus? Jesus said this to them and they said to him, the things concerning Jesus, you know. He was supposed to deliver us and smash the Romans and slaughter, instead he was crucified and he's dead and they were disillusioned and Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, and Jesus asked them, he said, ought not the Christ, ought not the Christ, according to your scriptures, and they still don't recognize, they don't know who he is, ought not he to have suffered these things that you said that he suffered, the crucifixion and all, and to enter into his glory, doesn't the scripture reveal that this would happen to the Messiah, and beginning at Moses, the law, and all of the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures, all the things in the scriptures that were concerning himself. He took them through this, the whole Bible, and said, look at how this was pointing to me. Look at how this was a foreshadow of me. And their their eyes were, were opened. He broke bread with them and their eyes were opened. They're like, oh my gosh. That was the Lord, the risen Lord. God's saying here to Ephraim, I've written for him. I've written for my people, the great things of my law. But they looked and they considered it like, what is this? What is this? And they turned to their idols. I don't know about you, but the Bible is a mind-boggling book. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised hearing Bible stories. We didn't even have a Bible in my house. I was raised a full-blown, I don't even know what I was. I was just a heathen dog, and I didn't even think about it. I was just surfing and playing in a rock band, getting ready for college, and chasing girls, and and God broke into my life, and I started looking into everything. I studied all the different world religions, and the Bible was so different. It's, it's a mind-blowing book. Jordan Peterson said, it is the book. And in all other literature, you can trace it all back to the Bible, <laughs> you know? It's, amaz- it's an amazing book. And God's like, I've written all this in my law. And Ephraim, you look at it and go, what is this? And I, here's, these are, this is more interesting, these idols over here, as your lives are deteriorating and everything's falling apart. The, the scripture is the foundation of so much. You know, I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's the foundation of modern science, All of our Ivy League schools were started as Bible colleges, Harvard and Yale and Princeton, all of them, you know. It's the foundation of people, the greatest lawyers in the world are the ones who've been studying this stuff for 4,000 years. Some of the greatest doctors are the ones that have been studying what God revealed about diseases and quarantine and things for thousands of years. It's been in their culture. I was telling my son the other day, because he has Bible class over here at our school and he's just like dad do we have to go to church I I hope he's not what listen I don't like using him as a he's like I'd have bible class every day and chapel once a week at school and I'm like son you're learning the most important book in the history of the world do your homework it's the foundation of everything good that's ever come into this world you know and he's like okay let's go to church you know I've written for you Ephraim I've written for you the great things of my law but you looked and they're like oh, what is all this you know we want to make our own religion and you're on your own i want to i want to know god's word and have him working in my life you know and so they missed out on the rich blessings of forgiveness that was the first thing you saw in the sacrifice, forgiveness, and then life in his presence. They missed out all that God was seeking to bring to them. Instead, they're empty as they're worshiping the gods that their own minds have invented. They're empty. And, and all that's in their flesh is being manifest in their community and they're lying and they're, fraud, they're fraudulent and you know, there's murder and there's adultery. Have fun. Man, how much of a mess can you make of your family, of your life, of your community? But the sacrifices of my offering, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord doesn't accept them. You see, because God accepted the sacrifice that he prescribed because it was all a foreshadow and a picture of who he is and what he was gonna do for us in Christ, which when someone hears that gospel, they're made well because his love blows us away and heals our souls and brings us near God and he fills us and then his love works through us. God says, I don't accept your sacrifice. You can't just come to me the way you think you wanna come to me, you come to me through what I've done for you and all pagan sacrifices are what we do for God and God's like going, who do you think I am? I don't need you to do anything for me. I'm God and you're a little tiny speck of humanity, a little grubby speck of humanity. I don't need, if, if I don't, you think I drink the blood of bulls and goats? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Read Psalm 50. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a pagan mentality that I could bring God and it's going to make God happy if I bring a little mud pie with a candle in it with my grubby little hands. That's not the sack. God rejects that. He, I don't, that's, it's actually blasphemous to think that the God, the God of the heavens and earth is waiting for you to bring something to him. No, he has brought something to us. And it's his own blood that was shed. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That's the sacrifice he accepted. And there in Jerusalem, in the sacrifice, that was a foreshadow. It was a prophetic, interactive, prophetic model of Jesus Christ and him crucified in the middle of the camp of Israel for centuries now he'll remember their iniquity and punish their sins they shall return to Egypt for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built idol temples Judah has also multiplied fortified cities and I will send fire upon those cities and devour those places And that's the end chapter 13 The sacrifice that God accepts What did I say that's the end that's the end of verse 14 of chapter 8. Yeah. The sacrifice that God accepts is the sacrifice that he himself has made. God gave his son and interestingly he gave himself because God 2 Corinthians tells us God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The blood of God was shed. Now there's effectual. We're going to skip all that because we're over time. That's the sacrifice he accepts. Do we, are we coming to God? Come to God through the new and living way that he has made. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the way we come to him and know him and experience his presence and his favor upon our lives this is where we come and we see the love this love that goes beyond imagination that you can't imagine a greater love he wants that God. God's just trying to bring us to the place where we we look unto him where we don't drift away from looking at him <laughs> you know that we Fix our eyes upon Jesus. Just look at him. Do you know that's all he wants you to do is just look at him and keep looking at him? And as you look at him, his love will start to penetrate you. And it'll get in you. And then as it's working in you, at some point it'll start working through you and that's all that he wants. That's all that he wants. Where the genuine love of God is coming to you, working in you and through you. That's what God wants. That's all he wants. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's all summarized in him, consolidated in him. This is, all of this is flowing towards him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this amazing thing that you've been doing all through human history over centuries and even millennia of time. And here we are. Believers, in this one that all these sacrifices pointed to, and we look back upon, we thank you, Lord. We so easily drift. We so easily drift away from looking at him, Lord, that we might fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith the lover of our souls, the redeeming lover of our souls. Keep us there, Lord, resting in your goodness until your goodness works through us to those around us. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name and everybody who agreed, said out loud together, amen. Blessings upon you. Say hi to somebody. We didn't do that up front, so do it before you go. Say hi, meet somebody you've never met maybe. And we'll see you next time. We'll go into the next chapter. Blessings.